Hello, and thanks for joining Wicker Park Lutheran Church Sermons. Wicker Park Lutheran Church is a diverse ELCA Lutheran congregation in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. We gather at 10 a.m. to fully live into our incarnational faith as we experience God's presence in the gathered assembly, and we welcome you to join us. In just a moment, you'll first hear with a gospel reading from the associated sermon for the service that you're about to listen to. We hope that that gospel gives you some context before you jump right into the sermon. Thanks for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Judeans? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So then, Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. Well, when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So here we are on the last Sunday of the Christmas season. And it got me thinking all the way back to Christmas Eve, which wasn't that long ago. But on that night, the first gathering that we had was the children's service. And at that service, as all services that night, we, we told Luke's Christmas story. And one of the things about the children's service every single year is that as I'm sharing that story with them, a child will undoubtedly tell me that the shepherds and the magi were together at Jesus' birth, so where are they? And, and I kind of understand why they're asking me that question, right? After all, how many devotional manger scenes do we see that shows kind of everybody there all at once? There's the shepherds, there's the magi, there's the donkey, there's baby Jesus, and they're all together and happy. But biblically speaking, it's kind of a conflation of two different stories of Jesus' early life. You see, that familiar Christmas Eve story from Luke's Gospel, well, it did have a manger around, but there were no magi to be seen at all. 
But today, today we're in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, well, it's a little bit different because there's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no family gathered for a census, there's no journey with a very pregnant Mary, and there's no occupied guest room that requires them to give birth in a stable. You see, instead, Matthew's gospel tells us that Mary and Joseph, well, they were living in Bethlehem. And it was there that the Magi from the east visited them. And it was probably days, if not weeks, after Jesus' birth. Now, as I was thinking about all of that this last week, I'm, I'm well aware that on this final Sunday of the Christmas season, we're not here to debate if Luke or Matthew was more historically accurate, or if both can kind of be like shoved together chronologically to make it fit together. But rather, today on Epiphany, we're here to emphasize the truths that are revealed in Matthew's story. And the truth of the matter is, is we actually don't know how many magi there were. It could have been two, it could have been 20, it could have been 22,000 for all we know. But what the text does say is that there were three gifts. Not three magi, three gifts. And it's also clear that the magi saw some kind of astrological event. And they knew that what they saw in the sky was significant. Now, these magi, or sometimes what we call wise men, were likely Zoroastrian priests. They were skilled in interpreting dreams and astrology. And the primary prophet was Zoroaster, who was miraculously conceived in the womb of a 15-year-old Persian virgin. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Maybe not a Persian virgin, Persian virgin, that's a fun one to say. But nevertheless, Virgin Mary, right? Probably like 14, 13, somewhere. Anyway. Now, unlike Jesus, Zoroaster predicted that other virgins would conceive additional divinely appointed prophets. And so these Zoroastrian priests believed that they could foretell these future births that were going to happen by reading the stars. So, just like the Judeans, well, the Zoroastrian priests were anticipating the birth of a savior. So it's really not out of the ordinary that these magi were gazing up at the sky looking for a celestial sign. And so when they saw this cosmic sign, well, they were curious. Indeed, they were even hopeful that a new savior might be born. And so they followed the star and they journeyed to the logical place for a new Judean king, Jerusalem. But when they arrived there, they discovered that this newly born king was not with or even related to the reigning king of the time. And so it was after they asked King Herod for some directions of where to go that things got a little dicey. Now, you've probably heard of this guy, Herod, right? Herod the Great, um, as he's known. And he kind of has a reputation. 
He has a reputation of being a bloodthirsty ruler. And he was known, and it's well recorded, that he would commit any crime in pursuit of his unbounded ambition. He would do anything that he could do to keep power over the throne. So, while what we read a little bit later in Matthew's Gospel might not be completely historically accurate, it's not out of the character of Herod the Great to decree that all of the children under the age of two should be killed. Because, you see, Herod, he would often eliminate anyone who got in his way. And that's the thing about today's story, is that we get these two interesting responses to this cosmic event. We see the Magi on one side. We see Herod on the other. Here, we see how the Magi saw something in the heavens, and instead of immediately thinking that it is a threat, well, instead, they sought to further explore and support what would bring about justice and life for all, a savior. While on the other hand, we had Herod who sought to destroy and deceive and derail anything that did not support his ambition, his idea, and his clingingness to power. You see, it is these varied responses to God's gift that Matthew's gospel is going to explore over and over again. And what we'll find as we look through Matthew's gospel is that whether we like it or not, God's love, God's presence, indeed God's fullness are here in the world. And, and in fact, throughout the entire cosmos, through the stars, through the planets, through the galaxies. And so with this in mind, knowing that whether we like it or not, we are loved by God, we are liberated by our God, well, well, now knowing all of that, knowing that we don't have to do a darn thing to receive God's love and grace and acceptance, well, then, then you see, you and I, we are free to imagine how we might respond, how we might respond to God's love and God's grace. And that's where we get these two responses right in chapter 2. Will we respond with hardness of heart and selfish motivations, like Herod? Or will we journey like the Magi, to seek and share love across borders, across boundaries, and into the unknown? And I think this question not only applies for, for our personal lives, which is so much where I see people want to take these stories, but they're also about our communal life here together. You see, for years now, as a congregation, we've been discussing how we might better welcome refugees that are fleeing oppressive forces around the world. In 2017, we officially adopted our status becoming an immigrant welcoming congregation. And we reaffirmed that commitment yet again in 2021 when we became an Amparo welcoming congregation. And, and for some time, generally what this meant 
is that we were going to financially support the work of organizations like Illinois Community for Displaced Immigrants, ICDI for short, and Refugee One. Yet it was late last year, as the days were getting shorter, that kind of led to something new, kind of like the glimpse of a star being born. You see, we had individuals in this congregation who began to imagine how could we take this somewhat passive action of giving of our, of our resources and, and kind of put it into lived experience, kind of to be walking on the journey like the Magi. And you see, our congregation then came together with a desire to now co-sponsor a refugee family and to provide a haven for those fleeing oppression together. We sought to act like those magi, helping to give, yes, the goal to fund the escape of the Holy Family, and also to be like those Egyptians who ultimately would protect the Holy Family from the unhinged actions of Herod. And so, through this Advent project, we've been raising the funds that go with a dozen of volunteers who have already said, I'm here to welcome them and journey with them for six months. And so soon, soon what we will see is that the star will stop over one particular family. We will rejoice with them and the new life that is granted to them. And so too, we will, like the Magi, share of our gift of relationship and financial support. And the, see, the thing is, is like leading the star throughout our community happens in other ways, too. I mean, we've seen a glimpse of God's star continue to lead us towards making this beautiful, historic building ADA accessible. And over this next year, we're going we're gonna to watch as this star gets closer and closer and closer to us until it stands right before us, beckoning us to give of our gifts, to give of our time and our resources so that we can finally create a space that welcomes all abilities and all gender identities. I, you see, we like the Magi. We've seen God's star of love and grace leading us in so many ways in this place. And now we continue to be invited. Invited to join and follow in God's love. And you see, that's what Epiphany is ultimately all about. God's presence is 100% among us. Sometimes we get little glimpses of it, like a shooting star. Sometimes it kind of shines as bright as maybe the North Star in guiding our way. And then sometimes it's so ever close to us, just like our beloved son, literally the son and the son. For God's presence is found throughout the cosmos and in the place we find home. God's love is given for us without condition, and then it is with that gift that we are offered the opportunity to notice God's new stars being birthed among us each and every day that we have the opportunity to seek these glimpses, not with rejection and fear, 
but rather with awe and wonder. And then in the end, we can share that gift of love and grace far and near. So on this Epiphany Sunday, friends, let us gather together to give thanks for the Magi's witness and then also to share God's love across borders, across barriers, and into the great unknown. Amen.